And the church said again. And one more time. God bless y'all. Man, that sounded good today. God is good. It is great to have you with us. I'm going to have you stand one more time. Just go ahead and stand. You know, as our nation celebrates its freedoms and as we enjoy the luxuries afforded to us by and through those freedoms, may we never forget the cost of them. For the battlefields of yesterday that are gone by, the battlefields today that are green and lush, they once ran deep beneath the soils as the blood and the sweat and the tears of those that gave their lives so that we could live ours. May we never forget the cost of the freedom that we enjoy in this great land in which we call the United States of America. Jesus said it best, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for the blessings that you bestow upon us. First and foremost, we thank you for the blessing of Jesus himself. It came and bled and died. But we're thankful, Father, for the blessing of his resurrection. He died for us. How could we not live for him? Help us to experience the freedoms in our salvation that you've given us. Always. And Father, for this great nation which you have blessed us with, we have been blessed. May we never forget those that gave us so much so that we might enjoy the freedoms that we have. Forgive us of our sin. Heal our land. And may we never forget who is in control. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The church said? Amen. Preacher said, have a seat. There's a story told of a young boy who came home from practice all decked out in his baseball uniform. Cheerfully, his mother said, How did Little Lee go, buddy? The little boy growled a little bit. He said, it's terrible. I struck out three times. It was terrible. Hmm, trying to console her son. His mother simply said, well, that's okay. It's part of the game, buddy. It's just part of the game. To which the little boy said, mom, it's T-ball. <laughs> you know, failure happens in all of our lives. Even in T-ball, they say. All of us experience failure. All of us make mistakes. And all of us sin according to Romans chapter 3. Sorry to tell you that, but it's the truth. Sometimes even the faithful fail in our lives. We see those around us and even ourselves. Someone once said, the good and the godly are imperfect. And we are. The strong can become weak and those heroes that we place on a pedestal falter, no doubt. Christians are not immune from failure, nor should we think that we are above failure. But we are redeemed, and we have a way back from and through our failures. And I believe that's what God wants us to know and to grow by in our spiritual walk with Him. It's that we can grow through even our failures as Christians. 
There's at least two good reasons we should avoid putting people on pedestals. We do that. We're humans. We often do that in sports arena or particular, um, oh, I don't know, um, jobs or professions. And we look to people and we simply place those people on the pedestals. It may even be a grandparent or whatever the case is. But the first reason would be is we set ourselves up for disillusionment when we place people on pedestals. Because we will, and they will inevitably, they will fail us, whoever they are. Our heroes fail us. If you just take a, just a one that's, that's a prime example of that, and you, if you took the, the little Tiger Woods, a little three-year-old on TV swinging a club with his daddy, and, and we've seen him to rise to some greatness that had never been accomplished before, And yet we saw the great fall which he had. And it appears as though he's gotten things back on track and we pray that he has in that case. But I use that as an illustration to show how we can rise and we can fall in our lives and even our heroes. Now we all know the story of Peter found in scripture, the apostle that Jesus loved no doubt. And there's no doubt that they had this special relationship together. The Apostle Peter had to learn it the hard way of placing himself on a pedestal, if you will. Do we find ourselves there in, in situations such as Peter? If you remember the conversation in Matthew chapter 16, and I place it there for you to read through, or maybe you can later on, but in this particular setting here, he is walking through the process and he's looking at, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And he says, well, you are, you are. There's no doubt that you are the son of the living God. And he compliments him. He graciously tells him that this was given to you by my father in heaven and all of these things. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys, in verse number 19, I will give you, Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Oh, Peter's got to be feeling really good in chapter 16. He's got to be feeling like, man, of all the other guys he could have said that to, he didn't say it to them, he said it to me. And if you stopped right there, you'd think, man, Peter must have been some great guy. But you move over 10 chapters, and you look at chapter 26, things begin to change a little bit. It's different. It's time for Jesus to go to the cross. And he stands before his group of men once again. And he knows that they're going to betray him. And the apostle Peter had placed himself on this pedestal. And remember when they have this conversation again there in chapter 16. But Peter was kind of saying here in chapter 26. He's saying, look Lord, both of you, both of us know that, that I do this stuff better than all those guys. You know that I do it much better than all of them. After all, you told me you were going to give me the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I mean, after all, if you look at all of these things, you know, and we know, we don't have to tell them, but you know I'm your favorite. (laughs) So Peter's doing all these things, and Jesus came back and said, yeah, I know. But you're going to hear that rooster crow. And you're not going to fail me just once, but you're going to do it three times. Pedestals. Pedestals are no place 
to be, for great is the fall, no doubt. The second pedestal comes in expectations of. We expect so much out of people that we place there. We think they're almost superhuman of sorts. But we all know that humans cannot be perfect 100% of the time. Any person other than Jesus whom you think is perfect, you don't know well enough. Trust me. Even your grandma. She may make great cookies and they may be perfect. And they probably are. But grandma's not perfect. Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 about a great cloud of witnesses in chapter 11 and 12. talks about those and you can read the whole list there. But nowhere in that list does it say any of them were perfect. None of them. In fact, in verses 39 and 40, it says all these people are known for their faith, not their perfection. It wasn't their perfection. It was for their faith. You see, God hasn't called you to be perfect. God has called you to be faithful. God has called you to stand in faith in Him. It was their faith that got them through, not perfection. Perfection is found only in Jesus Christ. That's why you put your faith in Him, because in Him your sins are covered. Amen? Scripture tells us the truth about the biblical heroes that we look up to. And all of them had their moments of mistakes and trials failures, and great sins. Don't believe it? Just start at the beginning, if you will. Noah had a drunken incident. Oh, he may have made the boat, and he may have floated it, and he may have done all the things that God had said, and God preserved him and his family, and that was all. And yet, when he gets off the boat, he throws a drunken party. Imagine that. Moses had an anger problem, if you remember his story. David had an adulterous and murderous episode in his life. Not very good. Failures? Oh, yes. And even the father of faith, Abraham himself, had an episode of lying about his own wife. My, my. And the list could go on and on. How many of us want to fail in our walk with Jesus? Nobody. How many of us want to fail in life? Nobody. How many of us want to be called failures in life? Nobody. How many people want to fail in your marriage? Nobody. How many of you want your children to fail in life? Nobody. None of us do. Failure is something that we will try to avoid at all costs. And one way we do that is by hiding our sin. And that causes us to fail the most. It's amazing how we do that, isn't it? From the very beginning, we've tried to hide behind our sin. Adam and Eve failed. Well, really, Eve did, and then, you know, whatever, but, you know, those women. I'm going to pay for that one this week. So what causes a person to fail in life? What causes a person to fail in our relationship with Jesus? What causes us to fail in life in just in general? What causes us to fail in, as a church in getting the mission out, the gospel of the good news to the world around us? To answer those questions, we'd have to be here all night. We could go over a, 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 a list that would probably never end 
of the excuses that we have and the problems that we have and how we can fix it and how you think you can fix it. No, we can't fix it that way. We better do it this way and this is what we need to do. Oh, this is what we have to do and this is what we have. And we would just be, we would leave here and just go, Ugh, I don't know where I'm at because we can't fix it all. But there is someone that can. I like what John Maxwell said about all this. He said, I believe we do not plan to fail, but at times we fail to plan. He then goes on to say, which in turn will lead us down the path of failure. you got to have a plan. There needs to be a plan in your life. If you don't have a plan, you're bound to fail. But if you have a plan, you still might fail. But you still have a plan. This is why it is so important to have, for us to have a plan to grow spiritually. See the value in spiritual growth? There's a plan connected to it. it. It makes sense to be able to look at what God has given us. The plan. Not so that we won't fail, but when we do fail, that there is a God and a way back from our failures or we learn from our failures. It is a valuable thing to learn from our failures in life. Do we learn from them is the question. Do you think that God thinks that we're going to be perfect once we become his children of God? Of course not. Now some think that that's what you have to be is perfect. As parents and grandparents, we know our children are precious, but they are not perfect. Sorry, but they're not. They're just not. And you might say, no, mine is. Well, be careful when you say that. Anybody ever say that and have... Well, never mind, just tough, isn't it? We know that they would fail in life, undoubtedly, and throughout their lives, because that's natural for us to. It's natural for us to fail. But what parents do is they love their children and they teach their children that failures can teach them valuable lessons in life if they let it. Our purpose is so that we don't repeat it again. But we often repeat it again, don't we? I believe that God uses failure to teach us valuable lessons in basically one of three or three ways. Valuable lessons of who he is, who we are, and something about life that he's placed us in. And if we understand through the process of our failures, of our failures, that God is still with us, we can learn something from that in life. What have you learned so far? Are you passing that down or are you hiding that? Are you passing it down to someone that needs to hear, this is how I failed, but this is how God blessed me through that, and this is how it happened. Oftentimes we like to just cover it up and just walk along as though we did everything just right. Whether or not we learn from the lessons is totally left up to us. My dad always said this. My dad had no education, couldn't write his name, second grade in school, and, but he was very wise and he would say this to me all the time. He would say, in the process of this, he would simply say little, little silly things that seemed at the time. 
He said, but I cut that board three times and it's still too short. And you're going, duh. (laughs) But that's exactly what we do as Christians sometimes. We cut the board too short to begin with. And we think to ourselves, if we cut it again, maybe it'll somehow work out okay. Do we do that? Sure we do. Those are valuable lessons to learn. And so the key is what? If you cut the board too short, quit cutting the board. And that was the point my father was always trying to get across to me. Meaning, yes, you cut the board too short. It's okay. Get another board. But don't cut it too short. That's what we often do. Let's take a real quick look at a guy that did some things like this. When Moses took it on his own, or into his own hands, to kill the Egyptian soldier, he thought everyone would rally around him because he was going to be this great leader of God's people. After all, he was chosen. After all, he was protected. After all, he was it. Instead, what happened? God sent him on a 40-year lesson adventure before he was ready to lead God's people. For 40 years, Moses, you know what his job was? To look at the hind end of sheep. Every day, he was reminded that he wasn't in control. And trying to take matters into his own hands was going to lead to big problems. Have you ever gone through an adventure with God? Have you? If you haven't, if you haven't, you're fortunate, but you will. I promise you, you will. But if you have been in an adventure with God, guess what? You're blessed. Why do I say that? If you've been on an adventure with God, even through your failures, you're blessed. How can a person stand and say that? It's easy. You know how? God. God was with you. Even in your failures, God was there. And that should cause us to say hallelujah, because if God deserted us when we fail, what kind of God is he? Have you ever been on an adventure with God? Some of you have great testimonies. You need to be sharing them. Sharing them. Not boasting about your failures, but boasting about your God that was in your failures. Charles Kittering suggested that we must learn to fail intelligently. And I like that. Wait a minute, if I'm intelligent, I won't fail. Really? How many of you have a college degree? Most of you. How many of you that have that college degree have failed? If you didn't raise your hand, you just failed. But to do it intelligently, how do we do that? Well, this is what he said. Once you failed, once you have failed, analyze the problem. Analyze the problem and find out why. Because each failure is one more step leading up to the cathedral of successes. I like that. 
in your cupboard, ladies, at home, more than likely you have the 12 herbs and spices that Colonel Sanders (laughs) holds as a secret recipe. And yet, if you look at his life and you see all the failures that he went through to get the 12, which 12? To bring him to the success, I think in his late 60s, before it came about, a thing we know now as KFC. It's not Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's just KFC. I like Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) You know why they call it KFC? They changed its name. They changed its name because the word fried sounded like, ooh, that's fattening. (laughs) KFC, just KFC. No fat. I don't like skinny chickens. All right. (laughs) The only time you don't want to fail someone's head is the last time you try. In his writings, John Rulerson, I think it is, John Rulerson, he gives three little things there that I noted and wrote down. These are suggestions that turn failures into successes. He says it this way, and I think they're very good. Honestly face defeat. Never fake success. Honestly face defeat. Never fake success. A lot of people fake it. He said, exploit the failure. Don't waste it. Learn all you can from it. And then thirdly, he says, never use failure as an excuse for not trying again. You may, listen to me, I would say it this way. You may never be able to reclaim the loss in your failure. Some of you have been through marriages and you failed. You can never reclaim that loss. It's gone. You may never be able to undo the damage of a failure that you had in your life. Maybe it was one night of a party, party time. Or to reverse the consequences of that failure. Spend a little time behind the bars, perhaps. But the good news is, you can have a new start. That's the good news. Is that you can have a new start. A new beginning. And that is the beauty of God. I love talking about the beauty of God because my God is so beautiful even when I am so ugly. Especially when I'm ugly. Because when I'm not really ugly, I think I'm pretty good looking. So when I fail and I see how ugly I am, I realize how beautiful He is because I need Him even more in my life. Now, how about spiritually? Let's take the three steps that he, came, he says there and apply them to our spiritual lives real quick and message is yours. I would say it like this. He said, honestly face your defeat. Meaning what? Don't run from your failures. Don't run from your sin. 
It's your failure. It's your sin. Don't run from it. I simply say it this way. When we fail spiritually, we need to look any, no, no further than within ourselves. When I fail spiritually, I don't need to look to you or anyone else. I need to look at me. Because I'm the one that failed. When I sin, it is because I choose to sin. Same for you. Now you might say, and others will say, some would say, you made me sin. They caused me to sin. They may have aggravated, they, aggravated you, they may have sinned against you, they may have beat you up, and they may have lied and accused you, but you are the one that chooses to sin. It's yours. Period. I can't sin for you, and you can't sin for me. I can sin against you, but I can't sin for you. You choose to do that. Honestly, face the fact, don't run from it. As people, we have never had struggling with sin as a problem because we do it well. We do. Our problem has always been repenting of the sin. Always is. I can sin real quick. It takes me a while to get around to the repenting. Anybody but me. Because I like to justify why I sin. Well, I'll just have you know they ticked me off. (laughs) You don't know what they did to me. Do you know what she said about me? Do you know what he said about me? Do you know what they said about me? No, but I know what you're doing. That's what my wife says to me when I say that. (laughs) So we don't have a problem sinning. We have a problem repenting of the sin. Because we don't like it. Because it means we have to eat crow, right? No chicken here, okay? It's crow. You just got to, yeah, I did. Anybody ever have to go to somebody and say, man, I'll tell you, please forgive me. Not like a four-year-old, three-year-old that says, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's not confessing. That's you got caught and you want to go play. So say you're sorry. I'm sorry. That's what our grandkids do. Donna does that sometimes too, but anyway. (laughs) Number two, learn from failure. Learn from failure. Don't waste it. Meaning what? Take advantage of what God has taught you through the sin And learn all you can from it. Why do I say that? Because every bitter experience can teach us something. Brett, you have a bad year. You win one game, Lord forbid. But you may, have you ever done that? Run like one game, two games? Ain't 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 real healthy, is it? Huh? It's tough. We pray for Lori when that happens. So you have a choice in that. You evaluate it. Where we go wrong? This, 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 but here's the adjustments we need to make. You see, the consequences of the sin are often heavy, but if you allow it, it will grow you spiritually so that your next season is even greater. 
You may not go even 500 the next year, but you're improving. Swindoll said it's three steps forward and two steps back. You're still making progress. Someone said, you know what a snail says sitting on the back of a turtle? Whee! It's progress. Number three. Never use your failure as an excuse for not trying again. Because if that would have been the case for you, Brad, and I'm picking on you, I know, you'd have never won that state championship. Meaning God hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on yourself. Spiritual failure as long as it is coupled with genuine brokenness, this is the key. Got to get this. We're done. As long as it's coupled with genuine brokenness and submission, it can produce in you a servant's heart that's better than ever, stronger than ever, more alive than ever, more excited than ever in your life. He heals the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. If we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive. Someone here today has failed at something. And you might feel all alone and helpless. You may feel as though you have hurt yourself, you have hurt others, and you have even hurt God so much so that you cannot be healed of that brokenness. That's not true. That's not true at all. He longs to heal you, he says. He longs to heal your brokenness, your broken heart. He longs to mend your spirit. He longs to give you breath in your spirit once again. All you got to do is call out to him. When you need help and you call for me and I can't hear you sometimes, I can't help you. But there is no depth in which you can fall that God can't hear your call. So why? Spiritual failure can teach us to rely on God if we have the right heart. Do you have the right heart today? Is your heart heavy today? Let God take it. Come to Him. Let us pray with you and for you. Let that burden be lifted off. Let that failure be in the past. Let brightness come into your future. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today can be your turnaround day. The day that God writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. The day that the angels rejoice in heaven over your surrender to Him. Today can be your day of prayer for you, your hurt, your pain. Whatever your need is, we sing this song right now just for you. Don't hesitate. Just come. As soon as we start singing, just come on. Somebody will come with you, I promise. Let's stand. Let's sing. Come on.